today we have for you one of probably the most famous uh, names on the martial arts scene in Queensland, I think it's fair to say, not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but multiple uh, disciplines. Mm. We had his wife on the other week, so we are wrapped to be able to pr uh, present to you Geordie Labors McBain. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm not sure about how famous I am, but thank you very much. Awesome, man. Uh, you're famous in our community. Absolutely, <laughs> man. And that's what matters. And like Jessica was saying, you've got like 20 black belts or something crazy like that. Is that true? Yeah. Um, 27 now. Jeez. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is that? Yeah, I, I've just always, always loved training. Um, I don't like to restrict what I learn. So I try and train with everyone I can and learn everything I can. Um, the more you learn, the easier it is to pick up things. It's mm -hmm. kind of like if something's real, it's usually very similar. And then you just look for unique differences. Um, and then the uniqueness either depends on whether it's um, absolutely genius um, or um, something sort of focused on just that area that it might have come from, or if it's it's just absolute garbage and just made up. So are some of those black belts absolute garbage then? Like, like you got them early, let's say. And you're like, oh no, now I realize that black belt is not gonna serve me, you know? Is that is that the case? Um, no, I think every black belt of that has served me in some way. Um, and it, it is interesting that some things that you think may not be useful for you. Um, turn out to be quite useful later on. Mm. Um, say, for example, how you would um, strip a grip in um, a traditional martial arts style. So say someone gets a grip and you're going to strip it off in, um, say, a traditional Kung Fu style or Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Um, what actually happens is um, when you put on a gi, it's irrelevant because the, the difference in a gi is when I put my thumb and my finger in a gi, there's still material between my thumb and finger. Mm -hmm. um, but these old systems often came from fighting an armor where people could fully enclose their finger and thumb together, which means that a normal judo strip or a jiu-jitsu strip doesn't work anymore. Um, so that creates interesting um, techniques which have come from these old style techniques. And then when you put people in, like if you've got a backpack on and someone grabs your backpack, um, a lot of your techniques you used to break that grip off won't work because of where your thumb is. So if you go back to these old techniques, um, you can actually find some answers there. And, and that becomes really relevant for if you're wearing a backpack or if you're in, um, you've got a, a tactical vest on or you've got plate armor on as a soldier. Um, but it would have been irrelevant in, say, Vietnam for a soldier because they weren't wearing armor then. So if you were to totally disregard all these techniques that aren't currently valid, you actually lose information. Whereas if you can focus on what works now, re retain what used to work, um, then later on, if it does become relevant again, you've still got it in the memory bank. You've still got it in the in the in the sort of technical tactical file of, of techniques that you have. That's super interesting. Uh, wow. So, can you run us through, Jordy, what some of these um, black belts are in? Bear in mind, we only <laughs> probably have list. <laughs> left. So, 20, we we're going to run out of time if you list them all. But yeah, what, um, yeah. So, what, um, uh, do you, Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, Judo, um, some, Jap uh, some traditional Japanese styles of, of Jiu-Jitsu, um, uh, Karate, Taekwondo, Kung Fu. Um, 
um, sort of subgroups of all those where yeah. they sort mm -hmm. of intersect and go across. So um, I, I, I've got black belts in sort of weapon arts. Um, I've got black belts in striking arts and I've got black belts in grappling arts and then some of the ones that sort of mix between them. So um, I've got a lot more white belts and black belts and um, <laughs> no, there's, a lot, there's a lot of systems out there that, that, that I've only just sort of touched on. I started doing SLAT earlier this year um, and um, even though I've got some um, um, ground in, say, Filipino martial arts, um, there is some similarities, but there is a lot of differences, and um, even within the different styles of Silat. Um, but they have a really interesting um, sort of, there's a lot of interesting skills within it. Um, one, of, one of the most interesting ones for me was um, there, there's a good emphasis on um, ground versus standing fighting, um, which is probably the only... Um, like if, if you're thinking about maybe like spider guard or something where I'm standing, you're on the ground, there's some emphasis there, um, fighting MMA, someone's on their back, someone's standing. Um, but I, I, I feel that like Silat has maybe gone a little bit deeper into some of that stuff um, than perhaps um, Jiu-Jitsu and, and MMA has gone. So there might be some interesting things to get from that. So that's, I'm finding that interesting. And in that, I'm only a white belt. So just a beginner. You're continuing, despite all of your uh, level of proficiency or level of expertise in all the other martial arts, you're continuing to evolve and still seeking out to become like a white belt in, in new disciplines, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, like I said, I've got more white belts than black belts. I, I, I'm certainly um, um, really interested in, in trying to find those connections, trying to find that information that, that um, um, doesn't exist in the current sort of location where it is. Um, before jiu-jitsu, I did shoot wrestling. I did shoot wrestling for, for over 10 years. Um, and um, we had a lot of heel hooks and neck cranks and finger locks and all sorts of other stuff and that. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really interesting is um, back then, I was doing a lot of heel hooks and neck cranks and stuff, and no one else was. Um, and then the revolution sort of has recently come in jiu-jitsu where everyone's like really interested in heel hooks. Um, and what's interesting about that is, is even though I've been practicing these things for a very long time and um, been doing them, there's such a development of that direction right now that, you know, it supersedes everything that I'd learned before. There's probably just one or two tricks I might still have, but that, you know, that, that's about it. Um, yeah. I, I also train with um, Toshi Ito and submission arts wrestling, which is also another Japanese style catch wrestling. Mm. And they've got a lot of different answers as well. So if you stop looking and learning, you, you just stop evolving. Yeah, I had the most amazing experience. We run this event called the Monthly Masters, right? And it's for people over 30, obviously, Masters in Jiu-Jitsu. We get together open mats in different gyms around Melbourne, right? I go there last weekend and I'm rolling this guy. He's a white belt. So I call him out. I'm like, I need an easier out. This guy <laughs> like a rock, right? While I'm rolling with him. He's at least as old as me, like 48, 49. Anyway, he feels like a rock. And before I know it, like he's got me all twisted up. And like, I'm like, you're not, a, and he, he tapped me standing like this, right? <laughs> he tapped me. <laughs> I'm like, you're not a normal white belt, are you? And he's like, I don't, he said, I've been doing Aikido for a long time. But he got me. Like, the, I actually, the game started pretty much on the ground, I think. Somehow we ended up on our feet and he tapped me standing. And that's never happened. And my view, for example, of Aikido was, you know, they don't seem to be that all that you know what i mean but now i'm eating my words because <laughs> i'm seeing that these other martial arts like like i have rolled other aikido people and had no problem but this guy just destroyed me against and i was using all my purple belt jujitsu stuff 
he got me back up onto my feet from the ground. And like, I don't even, like, I couldn't even tell you how the whole match went, but it was all Aikido. He wasn't using jujitsu and it really worked. And I was very shocked. And he did it again after that. So, you know, <laughs> I was very humbled. Yeah. Oh, Kido's kid, really The moral of the story is don't look for an easy role, Anton. <laughs> yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> well, I, I, I like Aikido. Um, uh, most jiu-jitsu people only think that there's like a wrist lock this way and a wrist lock that way. Um, whereas in reality, there's a wrist lock this way, that way, this way, that way. And, and, and there's so many different ways to do it Ooh. that if you were to, and, and there is some fantasy in Aikido. There's, there, there is some fantasy. And it really depends on what era of Aikido that you're learning from. So for example, uh, a style like Yoshinkan Aikido was like pre-World War II um and therefore um ushiba who was the master of it was still sort of focused a lot more on on the practicality he learned off a guy called takeda who mm. was kind of like miyamoto masashi went all around japan challenging people to fights and duels mm. um, but after world war ii um ushiba was pretty profoundly impacted by the loss of japan and um, went far more down a spiritual path which is why it really depends on what sort of aikido that you're learning and the mindset all the people i've learned aikido off had different backgrounds i, I trained off um, um um a few different guys stephen boyce who's also a, a boxing trainer ron vreken who's also a kyokushin black belt and kickboxer um paul kale who's a, a soldier jiu-jitsu black belt as well um so all the people i've done aikido with um already had a practicality mindset in mind Mm -hmm. um, and how to apply it under, under resisting people. One of my favorite ways to pass closed guard is put someone in, in Kota Geisha or a twisting wrist lock, and then they just open their legs and I pass their guard. So right. it's a lot easier than um, breaking the legs open. So where's Steven Seagal in the, in the, in the, in the Aikido spectrum? Where, where does he fit in? So Steven Seagal has some legitimate claims um he was one of the first westerners to open up a full-time dojo in japan he's a legitimate seventh dan in aikido um the problem problem people have is if if you're 80 percent real but 20 percent wacky everyone focuses on the wacky um so he's definitely 20 percent wacky you know so. i love you man that's so well said <laughs> i think people feel the same way about me actually now that we're <laughs> Well, it's the same with nearly every martial arts style has really good stuff. But if you focus on the 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 other stuff, it becomes um, kind of um, less real. So if you look at like BJJ, we all know BJJ. So the the concept of tactically pulling guard in any environment apart from a sports jiu-jitsu match um, would be very easily argued that that's a bad idea. You know, inverting, going upside down, doing all these sorts of things. Um, and the reason these sorts of things exist, um, um, I, I refer to as, as a concept of uh, technical incest, where you have a technique which is created to beat another technique, which is meant to be another technique within the one art. Mm. And then you have this inbred technique that only lives and works in this one art. Amazing. And due to that, um, it's misshapen, it's misformed, it can't work anywhere else. And, you know, if, if you want to do jiu-jitsu because it's your tennis, that's fine. But if you want to do jiu-jitsu because the guy told you he was teaching you um, self-defense and, and, and combat and fighting, it's kind of like the tennis instructor saying that they teach stick fighting. In mm -hmm. stick fighting, you have an overhand, a forehand, a backhand, an underhand technique, 
athletic foot, footwork, uh, hand-eye coordination, uh, fitness, um, even aggression. However, you're not learning how to hit another human. You're learning how to hit a tennis ball. Mm. And tennis can help stick fighting, but it doesn't work the other way around. And um, if um, that is your, that is your um, purpose, if your purpose when you train martial arts with whatever style it is, is to, is to defend yourself, and then the classes don't focus on that purpose, you have to find that purpose yourself while you're training. You have to find what's relevant to you and what's not. Um, discard, um, well, not discard, but maybe place some techniques to the side. You might need them later on. You might be able to find a new purpose for them. And your purpose in life might change, but um, don't necessarily um, um, fall into the trap of um, missing what your purpose is. Because when you do, if, you, if you're training with, the, say, the specific goal, you want to be an MMA fighter, so you're doing jiu-jitsu, you keep turning up to gi classes, they keep doing lapel chokes all the time. And then you lose your reason for training, you're going to end up thinking, I don't like jiu-jitsu. And um, what will happen is you'll end up quitting, you know, probably around Blue Belt seems to be the place the most people quit um, <laughs> because maybe your purpose wasn't met. You didn't get to focus on your purpose yourself. Um, whereas if you go to class and you see these, you know, the pelchokes and so on and you go, well, that's okay. I'll learn these because maybe later on this will be relevant. Um, but I also want to make sure I can try and work out, is there, is there some use to this when I'm focusing on MMA, for example? Is there some way I could cross across someone's shoulder and punch them rather than choke them? Mm. Um, then if you find that purpose, then I think you'll, you'll get some reward from your training and probably keep training for a long time. Mm. Jordy, we, we nearly always ask this of our guests, and I'm just mindful of time, um, but how did you discover, maybe let's just focus on jiu-jitsu, because if we say how you started all martial arts, <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, just tell us how you got started, how you discovered jiu-jitsu. Sure. Um, well, I've been doing shoot wrestling for about 10 years. Um, in that time, I'd sort of been visiting different places and, and, and training with different, pe different people. Uh, I did uh, my first jiu-jitsu class, I think, in 95 with Vince Perry. Um, and Vince wasn't super involved with jiu-jitsu then. I think he was a blue belt under John Will, but, but, he, but he was also teaching Duke Vindo and he also had some, some sort of other interests. Um, and um, um, I really enjoyed it, but it was a long drive. It was, it was probably took me an hour and a half, hour 45, just to get there and see him. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't offering me that much more than what I was already getting shoot wrestling. In fact, it was kind of a little bit restricting in some ways, but it was probably a little bit more um, universally known and accepted and structured. So I started training. Uh, I did a little bit of training with him. Um, um, and it used to be funny because we, we used to laugh because um, when he advertised, he'd advertise Blue Belt and BJJ, which you know, in the mid-90s, that was pretty high. Um, and I would advertise Black Belt and Shoot Wrestling. And um, so people would see the two and not realise that, you know, that the Black Belt and Shoot Wrestling didn't, well, it probably took me a little bit longer than take you get a Blue Belt in Jiu-Jitsu, but it didn't take longer than a Purple Belt. Mm. So um, that's where I sort of touched there. I did some John Will seminars with part of John Donahue's organization for a little bit. But just jujitsu wasn't really ticking too many boxes for me at the time. Um, we ran some tournaments up in Queensland that was uh, sort of, we call them open mat tournaments where you could do judo, jujitsu, any shoot, shoot wrestling, any, any catch styles, anything else that was around, uh, and you could go in it. Um, and we were doing pretty well. So we didn't see the need. 
Uh, and then um, I was joined to the International College of Martial Arts uh, in, on the Gold Coast and I met Daniel Lima and we became friends. Uh, we used to wrestle a lot with each other. Um, and then um, when Daniel first came here, um, you know, he was just a student. He didn't, didn't really have much money. And um, one of the ways that I thought I could sort of help my friend was um, getting around a seminar at my club. And um, he came out. And, and the good thing about Daniel is he's, he's very technically detailed. So, you know, um, I, I remember we were doing um, armbar and, you know, he ended up having like 15, 16 details and just had to do the armbar the first time we did it. And then we did another one later on. He had another seven extra details he didn't talk about the first time. And so I went, well, you know, this, this is really good. I like this. I really like Daniel. Mm. Um, and um, so we sort of worked out, you know, maybe, maybe this would be something to do. Maybe um, um, I, my, my shoot wrestling coach had gone by that stage. I had no one to learn from directly. So I thought, you know, this, this would be really good. So Daniel and I um, started together. I think I was his like third or fourth student in Australia. And um, yeah, I trained with him. I ended up being his first black belt here. Um, and um, yeah, I got my blue belt after a month of training. Um, I actually filed my blue belt the first time I went for it. So uh, I could have got it in two weeks, but I didn't because <laughs> we'd rolled a, you know, a fair bit with each other. I see. And um, yeah, um, when, he, when it came to the time where he was like, oh, I'm going to test you for your blue belt, I just sucked that day, just really bad. <laughs> he said, well, I can't give it to you after that. And I went, no, I don't want you to. And then uh, two weeks later, um, we trained again. And, um, yeah, I, I did quite well. So um, Amazing. Yeah. What a story. Not that quick. Daniel Lima for bringing you as a powerhouse across to the jiu-jitsu side. And, <laughs> and I, I guess, like, for me, like, what I'm fascinated by here is, like, you're a driven, incredibly driven human being. And not only that, where some people would say, like, focus your energy, you're like, no, fuck that. I'm going to go wide. I'm going to go and immerse myself in as many different things as I can. And not only that, like, achieve a really high level in them and then connect the dots and look for patterns and look for things that are useful and look at things that may be useful in different... Like, there's so much depth to your view of martial arts that a lot of people that we talk to haven't gotten to and may never get, get to because they probably focus so intensely. Do you think there's drawbacks to this approach that you have versus the full focus you know in one thing well well i guess you could say i'm focused on combat Uh, so Mm. um like a a little bit of knowledge about other things but but when it comes to combat uh, i'm pretty focused i I look at it kind of like this if if i have to compete like if say someone want to do compete against me in something and I knew something they didn't know I'd use that so if, if you're if, if I'm um, capable of um, using another skill that you don't know then that's going to give me an advantage um, in a more open uh, arena if you don't know judo I'll throw you if you don't know wrestling I'll take you down if you don't know jiu-jitsu I'll arm by you really? so yeah I, I sort of look at that um I know lots of high-level jiu-jitsu black belts that probably couldn't pass an orange belt in judo because they don't know that you need 16 throws to get your orange belt. Yeah. I, I know heaps of high-level black belts who wouldn't know 16 throws. Yeah. And it um, doesn't mean they can't win their tournament, but can they win anything else? Can they win any grappling tournament? Yeah. Or is it just the specific sport that they've trained for? So um, I'm that, not... Yeah. You're a yeah, master. Yeah. What was that? You're a master of combat. You like zoom out. It's not that you're, you're doing lots of different things, but they all focus or orbit around combat. Mm. 
and it's interesting because if you look at say grappling, for example, um, grappling versus grappling under a specific set of rules is, is a really interesting um, environment. For example, um, uh, like you look at judo, the submissions you're allowed to do in judo are arm locks and chokes. Um, and when we run combative tournaments with the army, that's the, the two main things. You're allowed to do leg locks, but they actually don't win. So if you leg lock someone, it actually ends up being um, a restart. So um, because the idea in combat is if you break my leg, that's great, but maybe I'll shoot you or stab you. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe I won't. So we won't say that it's a, not allowed, but we just won't say it means anything. Um, and then, but if I, if I break your arm, we, it's going to be hard to use that. So we actually have... Um, uh, arm locks as a equivalent of like a judo wazari or a, or a half point. So if you if you get someone an arm lock, we, we stop the match, we restart it from standing, and we go on again. Because the idea is that um, that combat advantage um, would be pretty good in real life. But the but the problem is that people always sort of forget, and this is something else that's sometimes forgotten in, in training is once I put you in a kimura, once I put you in an americana or an armbar, what next? Like what do we do next? Where do we put your arm after I've broken it? Yeah. How do I maintain control of you? Because you're probably probably pretty, pretty pissed now. I broke your arm. Yeah. There's so many examples of people getting their arms broken and fighting on. Mm. You look at Jacara back in the day versus Hodger Gracie, or you look at Henzo mm. Gracie um, getting his arm broken. You, breaking someone's arm is not the end. No. So um, the idea would be, yeah, if I can choke you, then I'll put you to sleep. That would be near the end. Mm -hmm. But something else to take in consideration with a choke is that the person's going to wake up pretty soon. Yeah. So if I put you in a choke, it's going to take me three seconds, maybe 30 seconds, depending on how good my choke is. But let's say I'm doing it well, three seconds. So if someone's within 18 meters of me, they'll probably be able to get to me before I finish the choke on the person I'm doing it. So in a multiple opponent situation, it might be better to just break the person's arm and move on. Mm. If I'm choking them three seconds later, yet they're asleep, then I put them down. And we've seen in nearly every tournament, people wake up pretty quick from that. They do. So then I'm going to have this other person. And if they're behind me, they're going to continue forwards. So the hierarchy of, of submissions, I would say probably joint break first, preferably upper body so that they can't use weapons on me with that part. Then it'd probably go choke and then it'd probably go like cervical dislocation. So not just a neck crank, but actual like a, a neck break. Oh, wow. And, wow. You guys... That would be the hierarchy of it. But of course, it depends on what, you know, someone bumps into me at Subway, uh, you know, you can't do any of those. But... but it's good to know that hierarchy of, of where, where it's heading, how fast it can happen, um, and, and what situation. And obviously, you know, you, you have to look at the law or the rules of engagement or whatever else sort of is surrounding you. Um, each state in Australia has slightly different laws in self-defence, so it's important to know where you are um, and, and, and sort of just follow through with that. And, and, and as I said, remember what to do. Once you break an arm, what's next? What are you going to do after that breaks? Just let me go. Uh, I see you at Subway. Walk other way. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad I've chosen a quiet meeting room at work to have this uh, conversation. <laughs> I'm not sure. What the well, the other thing, the other thing with like breaks are, um, like when, when I when I talk about submissions when I teach, and again, not everyone wants training with me because. You know, everyone's got their own sort of thing that they're after. My, my purpose is, is the reality of, 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 of combat and, and, and everything. And I don't talk about arm bars or shoulder locks. I talk about arm breaks and shoulder breaks mm. because it tells me what direction I should be heading in when I do a technique. So if someone's pretty tough and you can handle that arm cranking up behind your back, 
then then that's some sort of yoga flexibility that comes in. But if I understand how it is to dislocate the humerus from that joint, then I understand what direction I'm traveling in to do my submission. And the reason you're tapping isn't due to pain compliance now, it's due to actual the reality of understanding that, yes, the arm's going to break any moment now. Mm. So that should be our goal when we do an armbar. Our armbar shouldn't be that it's putting pain in someone's elbow. It should be that if I don't tap, my arm's going to break. Yeah. When you ask anyone in elite level of competition, they don't tap due to pain. They only tap due to thinking, yep, I'm going to get my arm broken if I don't. So if your focus is on the arm lock and the pain compliance, you're actually missing the, the original purpose of why we're doing these techniques and where we should be heading towards. And then, you know, people tap faster, quicker and safer because they don't get some strain they didn't understand was about to happen due to just the, the ability to lock out the pain. Mm, I love it. Just changing direction, Geordie, as I mentioned, we had your wife Jess on last week and I think we asked this uh, question of her. How, uh, how are things for you guys as a couple? Uh, she's your coach, obviously. Uh, sorry, you're her coach, I should say. Like, how does that, how does that sort of play out like at home and, and what's your... Yeah, so when we train, we train. Um, when we're in class, I'm the coach. Um, and, and she does what, you know, you would do if your coach told you to do something. Because um, she's an athlete, sometimes coaches get athletes to do a lot of physical fitness and a lot of different things. Um, and I have high expectations of my athletes, and, and it's no different for her. She's competed. Uh, she's fought in the ring. Um, I think she's got 87 titles and eight different combat sports. Wow. Um, including striking, grappling, and everything in between. Um, so uh, it's a very, we, we sort of separate that. And that's, I'm, I'm the coach. I was a coach first. Uh, uh, that's how it is. I get her to do things she doesn't like to do. Um, before we started dating, she wanted to watch a, a boxing fight one night. And I told her if she watched it, then um, she wasn't going to be allowed to fight. And, she couldn't come to the gym for a week. And so she came and trained and she was upset, but she still got to watch the fight after it. And, and it, it's those hard calls that a coach has to make to, to get the most out of their, their, their athletes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that's pretty good. But when we're at home, we're at home. So, you know, then, then you know, I don't even mind if she complains about me after. But she can't <laughs> complain about me when we're there <laughs> or complain to me. But after, I don't mind. It's like, yeah, you would you like to complain about any coach. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I think we have a really good balance there. Um, I want her to achieve as much as she can. Um, I, I might have earned um, black belts and different things and everything else. And in the end, it's not that hard to do to do that. It's just time. Um, whereas you can spend all the time in the world, um, doesn't mean you're going to win a title in anything. Um, and so I, I would say that she, of both of us, is more skilled than me. Um, I'm just better at um, seeing what to do. So I'm better at the coaching role. She's better at the doing role. Um, and um, that's probably the best balance for us. And I want her to be able to achieve everything she can. If she can get to the Commonwealth Games, get there. Um, she's won a couple of world titles in different sports. You know, it's not the end of her career at all. Mm. I want to see how far she can get and support her as far as I can and um, not put any roadblocks in the way. And, and anything I can do to help. Some things I don't coach her. Some things I know I'm not the expert. Um, and for me to be able, for me to try and step into different roles, the same with all my students. Um, if I pretend to be the expert in everything, then they're not going to be able to achieve the most that they can achieve. So there's certain things that I'm not the expert in, and then I try and outsource it. But I also try and learn myself 
because I want to help that next generation and the generation after that to, to get as good as they can. So I try and learn um, everything I can and, and, and be, the, you know, be the best supporter I can. It's wonderful. On the, on, the, on the subject of learning, like you are obviously masterful at learning. Like that's something you've been able to do is just kind of immerse yourself into things. Like what, what kind of hacks, tips, or what's your philosophy around learning that's worked for you so far? Um, know, know your purpose, know your desire. Um, you know, there's a couple of funny quotes you could use. Um, what's the average time someone takes to get a black belt? Well, the average person doesn't get a black belt, so it doesn't matter about that. Um, <laughs> what, um, don't expect to be um, good when you get your black belt, expect to be good to get a black belt. Mm -hmm. um, so if you just focus on doing things well, understanding things well, um, relating them as much as you can to, to um, um, what relates to you, it, it's going to help. Um, be, I guess be able to compartmentalize things and then also be able to combine them. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot of mnemonic techniques you can do to memorize things. I, I, I know over 100 katas and different styles of martial arts and so on. Um, but um, at the end of the day, it's uh, a good example would be if every time you're going to do side control in class, mm -hmm. try and face a certain direction in class and try and be in a certain area of the room. So if you know the coach is going to do side control, do that. And then when you think back to side control, you can remember everything from that point. Oh, wow. Um, and that that'll help. Um, take the time to list what you know. Um, a lot of people say, for example, jujitsu is infinite, and you say, "Cool, how many side control escapes do you know?" And you go, "Oh, seven. Well, there's a lot more than seven, but but that's not infinite." Yeah. <laughs> um, so so categorize that stuff. Categorize what you know. And what's funny about side controls, you know, we all know. Sure, there's like you might know seven, but when I wrestle you, what are you going to do? You're going to keep escape and try and pull half guard. And then I'm going to block that and then you're going to try and do that again. And then I'm going to block that and you're going to try and do it again. And then you're going to try something random and then go straight back to that hip escape, try to pull half guard. So how do you beat someone? You just work on what they're probably going to do. Um, working on high percentages is probably a good thing too. Um, once you've done a lot of training, sure, it's really interesting to look up different things about an art. But when you look at statistics and you go, well, rear naked chokes the number one submission in MMA, jiu-jitsu and judo. Mm. Maybe, maybe work on rear naked choke defense. Maybe work on how to do that better. Mm. If you have 20 hours this week and, and you're going to work, work out what you're going to spend your time on, I'd probably make sure that rear naked choke defense was in there and maybe rear naked choke doing was there because you want to accumulate as much of that as you can because you know that works. Mm. You know it's hard to defend. So you know you want, you want to get good at those things. Mm. And then once you've, you know, you've done your 10,000 reps or whatever else it is that you believe would be the number, um, yeah, add other things, but but don't spend your time doing the latest, you know, upside down reverse choke when we still know that that's not the high percentage choke. Love it. The things that work the most. And if you do high percentage things, you, you get high percentage results. Brilliant. Thank you. I think we're nearly out of time, Jordy. Um, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. I know originally we had attempted to get you and Jess on together and logistically that was just not going to happen, but... Having talked with both of you, I'm so glad that we've had the opportunity to chat with you individually because I don't think we would have had enough time to cover <laughs> yeah. all of um, both of your knowledge and uh, experience. Have you got any final words, any words of wisdom? 
Oh, sorry. Words <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit full of them, you know. Just, maybe <laughs> just chase your passion, chase your purpose. Always train with purpose in mind and, and understand your purpose can change. Um, but, um, yeah, work out what that is and, and make sure you're, you're moving closer to it every lesson, every day, every moment. And um, if you do that, then, then you'll be much more satisfied, much more, more happy and um, you'll also know where your next step is, which is sometimes the biggest challenge. Mm. So right. thank you so much for having me on as well, guys. Um, no, yeah, thank really, you. Really appreciate you the, sort of working around my schedule. So thank you. It's been a real no, privilege talking to you, man. I, I like I've known about you for a long time, but getting to discover a little bit about you, obviously we could, you need to come back at some point, man. I, I really <laughs> invite you to come back. I'm sure we'll just scratch the surface, but you know, you've got such great views, very different views to, others and uh that's what we're that's what we're hunting is you know perspective you know so thanks so much man awesome thank you thank very you. much so yeah. we'll have this out probably in a couple of weeks if you could share it that'd be awesome because oh, um, yeah we're trying to grow our audience as best we can so it'd be great awesome yeah no problems all righty catch you later everybody thank you bye bye